we are on a journey this summer through the book of Hebrews. Today we find ourselves in the 12th chapter. Let's turn our attention now to God's word. Let's place ourselves under God's word and allow God's word to speak to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts and minds, may it all be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past Friday, Covenant held a memorial service for a woman named Marjorie. Marjorie was a member here at Covenant, part of the Covenant family for over 35 years. She died at the age of 101. Marjorie was kind, welcoming of others, and thoughtful. Her family highlighted that her countenance expressed delight and that she looked at life through positive eyes. Even after her husband died suddenly of a heart attack and at a young age, and she was left parenting for children. Later, she slowed down a bit when her eyesight deteriorated, but Marjorie kept going. She kept giving herself to others, even after she broke her neck and had to move in with her daughter and family in Dripping Springs, all the while having faith in God. How does that happen? What keeps someone like Marjorie from throwing in the towel and giving it all up? The Theology of Work Project has this to say about perseverance. Perseverance in the Christian life draws its power not from inner human strength, but from faith and hope in the God who upholds us no matter what we encounter in life. God is the one who gives endurance. So on Friday, we celebrated Marjorie, who was able to endure all things because she looked to God for the strength to keep going. And we worshiped the one she trusted throughout her race who was and continues to be with her. I hope you had the opportunity this past week to do the work of remembering and to remember those examples of faith that have gone before you, those men and women who have shaped your faith and caused you to grow. Living or deceased, who has inspired you? Who is a face of endurance for you who demonstrated their faith by their actions? 
Because remember that while it may be difficult to define faith, it is easy to recognize it by the way it acts. Faith is a life lived in a trust relationship with God. And we demonstrate our faith in God in tangible ways. In Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews chooses the metaphor of a long-distance race to illustrate the Christian life. It's one of a few places in the New Testament where athletic imagery is used to describe the life of faith. The life of faith is not a sprint, but a marathon, a really, really long marathon. The finish line is blurry and way out in the distance. It's not an easy, peaceful race, but a difficult race filled with struggle. Because of its length and difficulty, the risk of tiring and dropping out is real. Remember, this New Testament book was written to people who had been through difficulty. These Hebrews were facing intense suffering. The writer of Hebrews wishes to motivate his readers to endurance in the Christian faith. The whole aim of the letter is the encouragement to persevere. Verse 1 begins with the word, therefore, firmly linking chapter 12 with chapter 11. That word, therefore, actually pushes us back into chapter 11, that entire chapter that is devoted to helping us understand faith. The author names those who, in every generation, who courageously, like Peter, swung their legs over the side of the boat and moved into situations that did not make sense because God was there, joining him in a water-walking life, trusting that the promises of God would hold firm. It's a long narrative of trust in God, a list of various ways that particular people demonstrated faith by their actions. Our faith is rooted in the past, but the author now brings us into the present, for it is now our turn to run. It's a grand passing of the baton to we who are called to be God's people in this generation. With an awareness that the life of faith is demanding and difficult, there are two great encouragements in this passage. The first being, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We are not alone. The Tokyo Olympics got underway a week ago Friday after a year of delays due to the coronavirus pandemic. I've been pretty glued to it because I am an Olympaholic. Since spectators were banned at Tokyo Olympics, family and friends have been forced to cheer for athletes from a great distance. Watching clips from these watch parties have been some of the best moments of these games. When 18-year-old Suni Lee won the gold medal in the gymnastics, the fans went wild. However, the fans were thousands of miles away, watching remotely from a party in her hometown in Minnesota. There's been a lot of emotion coming in part from the fact that family and friends are such a crucial part of the support of these athletes, most especially during this past year. 
There have been wonderful moments of athletes affirming and declaring we did this together as they interact with those cheering them on remotely. We are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. There are countless thousands of God's faithful throughout the ages, all who lived by faith, who crowd the marathon route and urge us on. In the New Testament, a witness is never a passive spectator. A witness is always an active participant. Witnesses gave testimony of their faith, often at great personal price. They are now inspiring examples to us. They give us encouragement and inspiration for the journey. F.F. Bruce writes, it is not so much they who look at us as we who look to them for encouragement. None of us, not a one of us, is meant to run the race of life alone. God wired us in such a way as to receive life and encouragement from others. We challenge, push, help, and spur one another on. Community is absolutely essential. Some of you are in a long experience of caring for children with special needs aging parents, spouses or good friends living with declining health. Some of us, some of you are enduring a season of unemployment or a difficult work environment, waiting for a child, persevering in a task that is too difficult for you. in a difficult season with a key relationship in your life. We linger in a time of waiting and persevering with an unwelcomed virus that continues to disrupt our lives. In the Christian life, endurance will be called for who encourages you to keep going and to have faith in God. Instructions on how to run continue. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely. A marathon runner would be foolish to carry a backpack containing a 50-pound weight whenever they ran. Runners try to keep it light. The author implores the runner to strip off anything that would slow you down which includes sin. No specific sin is mentioned. This will be different for all of us, but whatever it is, we are instructed to get rid of it. Here we have a picture of sin being like bulky, heavy clothing that weighs and slows down the runner. The deception of sin is that we think it's harmless. However, sin weighs us down and keeps us from running freely and well. In 19, excuse me, 1845, Sir John Franklin and 128 officers and men sailed from England. 
to find the Northwest Passage across the high Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean in search of a vital sea route from and between the Pacific and the Atlantic. The crew loaded their two ships with a lot of things they did not need. A 1,200 volume library, fine china, crystal goblets, sterling silverware for each officer with his initials engraved on the handles. Amazingly, each ship took only a 12-day supply of coal for their auxiliary steam engines. Eventually, both ships became trapped in large swaths of ice. After Franklin died, the men decided to trek to safety in small groups, but none of them survived. Two officers pulled a sled more than 65 miles across the treacherous ice. When rescuers found their bodies, they discovered that the sled was filled with table silver. Their journey ended in tragedy with none of the 129 men aboard, the two ships returning home. The exact circumstances of their death remains a mystery. Underestimating the demanding requirements of Arctic exploration, these men contributed to their own demise by carrying what they didn't need. But don't we do the same? Don't we drag baggage through life that we don't need? Are you weighed down, weighed down by self-hatred, jealousy, unforgiveness, bitterness. Throw it off so you can look more and more like the one who runs before you, our example in all things, in order that you might run freely and well. What do you need to confess and repent of? Is there someone in your life who needs your forgiveness? I'm certain that some of us are carrying heavy baggage of guilt and regret. Many of us have secrets too shameful to tell. What act of betrayal will you still not forgive yourself for? We are to guard against carrying unnecessary weight and the sin that clings so closely because it will distract and burden us as we run the great race of faith? Is it finally time to exchange heavy burdens and receive God's rest? Christ came to show his love for people who make bad choices. That's the only hope most of us have. The second great encouragement in this passage we see it there in verse 2. The race is to be run looking to Jesus. Our eyes are not to be fixed on the heroes of faith as an end in itself. We are to look to Jesus, who is to be the focus of our attention and also the one we look to for guidance and aid. For he himself, Jesus himself, is the supreme example of persevering faith. 
He disregarded the shame of the cross, the lowest form of capital punishment in the Roman world, reserved for slaves and criminals, involving torture and public humiliation. On the cross, Jesus was treated as valueless, being mocked and ridiculed. The result of this shame was being exalted to the right hand of God. The cross proves that we are loved beyond measure and worth saving, and Jesus knows what it means to suffer. The cross also demonstrates that God can be working in our lives when it feels like the world is falling apart. When the race is hard, we remember how Jesus' death on a cross displayed faithfulness and endurance, which helps us to continue the race that we have been given to run, knowing that our present difficulties are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Friends, have faith and hope in the God who upholds us no matter what we encounter in life. God will give us endurance. Part of the collection of the Kelvin Grove Art Museum in Glasgow, Scotland is a painting from 1951. Spanish artist Salvador Dali's Christ of St. John on the Cross, inspired by a drawing done by the 16th century monk, John of the Cross. I had the privilege of seeing this painting two years ago when I was in the UK. Dali has us view Christ from above, in the full view of the Father. He depicts the intimacy and relationship between Father and Son. You see in the painting the absence of nails. As 14th century mystics Catherine of Siena believed, it was not the nails that held Christ to the cross. Those were not strong enough to hold the God-man. It was love that held him there. We see Christ looking down on the earth below, leaning toward the world for which he died. The bottom of the painting is a fishing village, reminding us of Jesus' sacrificial love and death, not only for all creation, but for particular people where they live, work, and play. Some of you receive Covenant's daily devotional in order to get guided devotions for prayer and study. This past Monday, John Wasson's devotion linked to a beautiful reflection by Alan Jacobs on what Jesus means to him. Jesus writes, excuse me, <laughs> Jacob, Jacob writes, as for me, Jesus is the only reason I am in this game. Half-hearted and inconstant a Christian as I am, I hang on to this figure with desperation. When all else fails to console, he consoles me. Every day I want to evade him, to look the other way, and when I do, my faith wanes and weakens. But when I look, when I draw near, I remember what I'm all about, what the world is all about. When I look towards Jesus, I am caught and held, even if sometimes shattered by what I see. When I look towards Jesus, I am caught and held, 
even if sometimes shattered by what I see. Can you carve out some time this week to look towards Jesus? One way you could do so would be to turn to the Gospels in the New Testament and find and read and meditate upon a story about Jesus. The one who is out at front, look to him. See how he ran his race, our example in all things. It is now our turn to witness to God's power and love. We're in this together. We can't give up. Let's now run. Pray with me. Loving God, how grateful we are for the examples of faith, those faces of endurance who inspire our faith and help us to run. We pray to run this race with grace and faith. Guide us and be our pace setter and our purpose, we pray. For we sure don't want to run this race in vain. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.